church. Are you all well? You can grab a seat. Whew, how about those baptisms today? Can we just give it up for, first of all, Jesus for making a way, and then for all those who got baptized today, can we? Thank you, Lord. So good. You know, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like yeast that works through the whole batch of dough. Yeast is powerful. And when it comes into contact with the world, it changes the dough into bread. And I just want to say uh, this. I'm just aware Paul, in his, in his letters to Timothy, talks about the last days where people, everyone say people, will hear what their itching ears want to hear. But he gives an instruction to Timothy to accurately handle the word of God. And what blessed me this morning is seeing people come into the kingdom through baptism. Just track with me for a second, and I'm going to go over an old lesson that's been a part of this house since its inception. But if you're over here, shout darkness. And if you're over here, shout light. <laughs> they won. You see that? <laughs> Sorry. Okay, you will be in a minute. You, you have to wait. We're gonna, you're going to get there. You're going to get transferred. Yeah. This is, this is why this is so great. So it's not a kingdom of darkness, right, Janet? It's a domain of darkness. The reason it's not a kingdom of darkness is because there's no king. But it's a domain of, the, of darkness, and the Bible says we were all dead in our transgressions and our sins. We were all in darkness. We were slaves, and we were sinners. But because of the finished work of the cross, when Jesus died, he said to Telestai, it is paid in full. This is the gospel, folks. We were taken from the domain of darkness and transported into the marvelous, everyone say marvelous, kingdom, because it has a king of light. Yes! And it's a marvelous kingdom. So we are no longer slaves and sinners. We are now sons and daughters and saints. Paul nowhere writes to the slaves in Ephesus or Colossae or Philippi. He writes to the sons and daughters. He writes to the saints. Because we are no longer sinners. We were once on a journey to the cross doing things for love, for acceptance, for victory, in our own dead works. But the truth it is, it is by grace that we're saved and not by works. It's the gift of God. That is the glorious gospel. And today, what I just loved, I met Henry, a guy called Henry today. Henry, can you, where are you? You can just wave. And he said, I've just got to show you a picture of my life. And he showed me a, a picture of a car accident. I said, there's no way anyone could survive that. He said, I'm here. And he just shared just before the meeting for five minutes his testimony. And he said, and then, Dan, I was radically saved. He was radically taken from this domain of darkness into the marvelous kingdom of light. And I just want to just touch on this because this is what we witnessed today. We witnessed one of the keys of how to get into the kingdom. The first mention of church is in Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus asked the disciples who the people say I am. And they say, one of the prophets, maybe Elijah. And he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, how about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And he says, blessed are you, Peter, Simon, son of Jonah. But this has not been revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And on this rock, on the revelation of who you say I am, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And then Jesus says this, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Everyone say keys. This is so important in the age that we live because church, I want to make a statement, the church is not a church without walls. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, in the Old Testament, do you remember Nehemiah, his face was in anguish, he was in ruins because God's house, the walls lay in ruins, the gates had been burnt. 
The way into the kingdom, the first key was to repent. The second was to be baptized. And the third was to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they were added into the church. When Peter took these keys, you see them in Acts chapter 2, when he stands up at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit has been poured out. And the people said, they must be drunk. And Peter says, they're not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. No, this is what Joel prophesied about. And he begins to preach the gospel And at the end of it, the people said, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, what must we do to be saved? And Peter pulls out his keys. Number one, you need to repent. Number two, you need to be baptized in water. Number three, you need to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they were added into the church. If you're given keys, it suggests that something's locked. It's not a church without walls. There is a way in, and what was so powerful is the miracle. You know, there is no greater miracle than to see someone born again, to see someone taken from darkness, taken from a place of slavery, taken from a place of being a sinner, and taken and brought into the marvelous kingdom of light. Amen? Amen. Is that good news or what? This is the gospel, but I think the gospel is under attack. And if we're not careful to guard the gates, to guard the way in, there's a prescribed way in. You know, we can't just make stuff up. God's word, the Bible, is final. And if we look at that perimeter of how to get into the kingdom, I want to suggest to you as we journey that as the church at large says, yeah, this is okay, that's okay, the walls will come down so low to the lowest common denominator, the challenge will be that is there actually even a difference between the world, the kingdom of the the domain of darkness, and the marvelous kingdom of light. You hear what I'm saying, church? This is really important. And as we journey over this next few years, I think the things that that we've got to find a language from the Word of God, not just what what pop culture says, not just what um, the world is saying, but we've got to go back to the Word and say, what does the Word say? And that we're going to stick to that. And if you... If you look at culture, if you've been to our culture class, uh, culture is an acronym and C is for choice. And so when people say, well, that's just unfair. Why can't they come into the church? Why can't? Because there's something that made me cry when one of the young people got baptized. She said, I just want, I just want Jesus to be Lord of my life. I thought, that's the issue. It's lordship. The rich young ruler came to Jesus. He said, Master, I've done all these things. What must I do to be saved? Jesus looked at him and he said, go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And he went away disappointed. You're hearing that. He hit the perimeter. And he says, how do I get in? He said, well, there's some keys. And Jesus jumped straight to the issue in his life. Will you let this go? The issue wasn't money. It was that money had him. And he went away disappointed. But there's a little line which I love. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. We can stand on the perimeter of the kingdom of this marvelous kingdom of light, representing the king in all of his radiance, and love people. Love them into the kingdom. But that doesn't mean it's just a free-for-all and you can bring that in here if you like because we're just accepting. No, 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 no. You go through. Repentance means to turn 180 degrees. It's to change your mind. It's to go down to the waters of baptism. It's It's an outward expression of an inward reality. I'm burying my old life. I'm coming up out of the waters of baptism into newness of life. I'm, now the Holy Spirit is inside of me, but now he's going to come upon me so that I can be everything that God has called me to be. Does that make sense, church? The gospel is powerful. The kingdom is powerful. And we need to watch. There's a, the cross is so powerful. Amen. I've just been blessed being back here this time. Can we just give it up for our worship team? So good. Thank you, Andy. Um, hands up if you were here last Sunday. Uh, hands up if you were here on Wednesday night. Great, excellent, some of you. Uh, last Sunday we set Jonathan and Ruth into, into eldership. Jonathan and Ruth, are you here? Jonathan's here. Jonathan, can you stand? This is Jonathan. Is Ruth here? Oh, she's taking the kids out. Um, and we set them into eldership. And um, I just want to say this because this came up as a question at the Family Matters meeting. Who are the elders and what's their different spheres? And 
Um, if you're, first of all, before we go any further, if you're one of the elders here, can you stand up? Tim and Keris, can you stand? James and Janine, Jonathan, Ruth, um, Nigel and Jill, Fee and myself. I'm looking at my wife. Fee, can you stand, please, my dear? <laughs> She's sitting with her mum and dad today. <laughs> and, uh, and obviously Josh and Kara, they're not here. Um, can we just honor these guys? So, so amazing. I know these guys so well and just so blessed. Um, they are he- this, the eldership here is healthy. It's a healthy eldership. We're being careful how we build to make sure people who join the eldership as we go forward don't change the sound of the house, but enhance the sound. It's like instruments, that more instruments come and play with us. There's a song that God has called us to sing, and more instruments will fill out that sound until we make an anthem together as a people. Right? Do you hear that? But, it's weird. but Paul says, be careful how you build. And we're taking our time so that we're building for generations to come. And we're being careful how we build. But uh, as we go forward over these next weeks and months, we're going to bring clarity to what the different spheres of eldership are and who they are. We're going to have pictures on the website with little bios so you can see uh, what they do, um, what their name is and where they come from. Sounds like Scylla Black, doesn't it? <laughs> What's your name? Where'd you come from? <laughs> So few people got that. Um, <laughs> now, for the first time, I'm starting to feel old. What? Like who? What? <laughs> um, but with Jonathan Ruth, I would you want to just, uh, just for a moment, take, just bring some clarity on for Jonathan particularly. Jonathan has come back, and he, we haven't had a full-time person, a uh, full-time elder, a full-time per, an elder, per, person on the team for uh, five years, over five years. So Jonathan is coming... Um, and his primary sphere as one of the elders, as part of the team, as one of the pastors, is to um, really lock in to the day-to-day church life in the office, working with Helen, working with Rosie, to um, look at our systems and how we can get better. Things are strong, but how do we make them stronger? And it really, the church here really needs... Um, someone on, who's a part of the eldership who can make decisions um, to be here on the ground day in, day out. And so that is Jonathan's sphere. That's what we've asked him to do. That's what he's employed to do. So he will be around. And so um, even what I just said about the website changing and pictures going up, uh, Jonathan is being commissioned to do that. Um, Jonathan, like me, has a building background. And uh, when you're building a building, you need to, you have pillars and there needs to be equal weight distribution and I think that's another thing we're going to look at is how, how can we shift weight from certain people to make sure that everyone's carrying the right weight and the building can continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Amen? Does that make sense? So, that being said, church, are you ready to get into the Word? Wonderful. Father, we say thank you to you this morning. Thank you that we get to be your kids. Thank you because of Jesus because of the finished work of the cross, we've been taken out of the domain of darkness and brought into the marvelous kingdom of light. Thank you for the way you love us. Thank you for the way that you lead us. We thank you that we have full access to you because of the finished work of the cross. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this is your voice in print. This is the only book we'll ever read when you, the author, are always present. And I ask this morning as we get into your word that revelation would come, that the eyes of our hearts, as Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, would be enlightened so that we can know him better and the hope to which you've called us as your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you ready? All right, we're talking about people. That's the theme for this year in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. Peter says, in light of all of this, what kind of people ought we to be? What kind of people ought we to be? If you can turn to Matthew chapter 22, Matthew chapter 20, we're going to jump straight into the scriptures. I'm going to go fast, so if I'm going too fast for you, you can listen to the podcast and slow it down to half speed, uh, and uh, then maybe uh, you'll be able to track with me. But we've got a little bit of time, so I'm going to go fast. Matthew chapter 22. On hearing that that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert of the law. Another translation says a lawyer or an attorney or a solicitor. 
tested him with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest command, and the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's Matthew's account. If you can turn to uh, the Gospel of Luke really quick, I'm going to read this because Luke adds another really important aspect. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. You can see the man's heart here. You can see something of, of this man's attitude towards Jesus. He's trying to trap him. He's trying to catch him out. And, he's, and, he's so, and he says to Jesus, the teacher, he asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied. How do I read it? And he answered, Jesus says, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked the question, who is my neighbor? I want to talk about this subject, because we're talking about people. How do we love our neighbor? And there's something powerful hidden in this text which I want to draw out and leave with you this morning on this whole subject of the command, because it's a command. Jesus says they're all summed up in this. Now, the, the law, there were 613 things that they all had to keep, laws. And so this attorney, this solicitor, this this. This Pharisee is trying to trap Jesus by, by tripping him up with this question. So which one is the greatest? Master Jesus, if you're so great, then why don't you answer this question? And Jesus says they're all summed up in this, from the feast of cleaning cups to how you mix fabrics, to plant your crops, how you buy and sell, how you dress, what you can wear and what you can't wear. Um, what, are, what are traditions? What are rituals and sacrifices? Where can I go and where can I not go? All these things, these 613 laws, Jesus says they're all summed up into these two, and it's to love me and to love your neighbor. This morning, because I'm going to break it into three. Now, I know Jesus gave two, but when I read this, I see three, and preachers have to have three points. So, Here's the first one. Are you ready? I'm going to give three journeys, and the first journey is upward. Will you say that with me? Upward. The second journey is the journey inward. Will you say that with me? And the third is the journey outward. Very good. So the first one is to love God. The journey upward is the command, Jesus says, to love me with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Another translation says, with all of your strength. Luke says both. And the second is just like it, to love your neighbor, but there's one in between, as you love yourself. So it's to love God, it's to love ourselves, and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And the truth is, John tells us this in John, 1 John 4, he says, this then is love, not that we love God, but that he first loved us. As I was coming in this time, I felt the Lord say, I want, uh, it's important that our greatest strengths don't become our greatest weaknesses. We have to guard the things that we are strong in. We have eight core values, the eight being the ship, if you remember. And there's sails on the ship. We need to refresh these and look at these again. But each sail has a core value. And the eight is the actual ship itself, which is ownership. And in order for the ship to sail, we need to take ownership of it. And the first two, the first one is worship. The second is sonship. And I think those core values have become our culture. We talked about this on Wednesday night. We have a culture of worship in this house. I'm going to talk about it in a minute. I've also asked Andy uh, Williams to speak on this coming soon. He's walking down again. Not right now, Andy, but just coming up. Yeah, if you can. But Andy is our worship pastor. I've asked him to come and teach on worship. And and as we go through it, you will see again that worship doesn't equal music. Worship is a lifestyle. I think that was agreement. (laughs) But to love God. Let me ask you that question. Uh, Someone over here who was once in darkness but is now in the marvelous kingdom of light. That's good. Good news. How do you love God? With all of our hearts. 
Somebody else in this section. How, practically, maybe just one word or a short sentence. How do we love God? By obeying him. Great. Say it again. Ask him first. Keep going. Come on, church. By coming to him. Yeah, excellent. By praying to him. By listening to him. By prioritizing him. By praising him. Okay, someone over here. By witnessing. By loving him. How do we love him, though? By thanking him. By helping others. Love that. Anybody else? By letting him love us. Amazing. This then is love, not that we love God, but that he first loved us. See, when we first realize how much we are loved, it becomes easy to love him by loving him. So let's go through these, and then we're going to look at this solicitor's second trick question of how he tried to trick Jesus. But the first is to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul. And with all of our might, to love him with our heart. You know, scientists more and more are realizing that our heart is way more than just a muscle. The Bible says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We have a thinking heart. My parents told me a story uh, recently of a, of a girl, that had young girl who'd had a heart transplant. And after she had the heart transplant, she began to have these horrific nightmares. And so they called in the medics and the doctors and they sat with her and psychologists and they sat trying to understand because they were so harrowing and they were just, and it was, a, it was the same reoccurring nightmare that this young girl was being chased through the woods by a man with a knife and when she turned around to see his face, she woke up terrified night after night after night after night. And in the end, one of the doctors went and got special permission to find out where the heart had come from, and it turned out it was a young girl's heart who had been murdered. They went back without telling the girl what happened initially, and they sat down and they said, when you say you turn around as you're running through the woods and you see a man and he's dressed all in black and you, you said you could see his face, do you think with the artist's you could sit down and describe, and they will start to put together a picture of this man's face, and they did it. The police took the pictures of this face and put it through a scanner, and they went and found the man who did it, and he admitted to running through the forest and murdering a young girl. There's a lot more to our heart than it just being a muscle. It's a thinking heart. If you read more stories, I've read stories of, of swimmers that, that they received hearts from professional swimmers and then they wanted to swim and went on with the family that who, who, who the parents of the, the, the child that died be there as the child that had received their, their child's heart win in swimming and could never swim before. Artists that could never write before. What, what am I saying? This that when Jesus says the greatest command, I'm summing all 613 up, is to love me with all my heart. How do we love him with our heart? I want to suggest to you there's a lot more than it just being a muscle. We can have a sick heart. Hope defers makes the heart sick, so our heart can get sick, our heart can think. Above all your else, guard your heart. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you want to know what's going on in someone's heart, listen to what comes out of their mouth. But we need to love him. Jesus says, I want you to love me with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Another way we can love him is by worshiping him. If you want to, you can tell me just very quickly. I'm going to throw just some seeds out today for you to think about. But in Romans chapter 12, when I read my Bible, this is the, the greatest, most dense, thick portion of scripture on the whole subject of worship. And this is just... Uh, proves that worship doesn't equal music. The first mention of worship in the Bible, there was no drums or electric guitars or dry ice or smoke machines. But Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he says, therefore, this is your spiritual act of worship. 
He says, I urge you, therefore, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Everyone say worship. One of the ways that we worship God, one of the ways that we love God is by worshiping him that is not confined to a Sunday morning for 37 minutes. It's a whole lifestyle, and Andy's going to unpack this again, that about what it is to worship and love God. Every time we worship God with our life, we are loving him with all of our heart. And in Romans chapter 12, I want to encourage you, read Romans 12, 13, 14, 15 this week. Just allow the word of God to flood over you and look what worship is. Here, I'll just give you a quick example. So Paul says, this then is your spiritual act of worship. And then he starts to list what those things are. Love must be sincere. sincere. When we love one another, church, we are worshiping God. When we're worshiping God, we're loving him with all of our heart. Hate what is evil and cling to that which is good. When we hate what is evil, we are worshiping God. When we're worshiping God, we're loving God with all of our heart. And that's the greatest command. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Never be lacking. Never. Never be lacking in zeal. The Bible says to us, this is worship, that when we're never lacking in zeal, but we keep our spiritual fervor, we are worshiping God, and when we worship God, we are loving him, and the greatest command is to love him with all of our heart. And I want to suggest to us that God is wanting, like a chiropractor, to adjust us again, to shake us up, to think, hey, this is our life. This is it. Let's live it to the max before we stand before him. Let's spend our life worshiping him. This was a command, not a suggestion. All the commandments are summed up in these two, to love me and to love people. Love me and love people. Love me, love people. How do we love you? Worship me. How do we worship you? Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. You know, I think the church, for so often, instead of being consumed by him, we become consumers. And we just come with an empty plate. Well, that church has got a big resource. That church has got a lot to offer. That church is... And so we come with an empty empty plate saying, please feed me. But that's the opposite of the kingdom. Watch this. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Give, and it will come back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. If I come empty to give, you'll actually leave robbed. But if you come full to give and refresh someone else, you yourself will be refreshed. I said to Simon Durant, as we walked in, I said, Simon, thank you. I said, you just, you just got, you're just all over the place. You're playing on a Sunday. You're doing sound. You're a trustee. Because he's, got, he's a servant. Where is Simon? Thank you, Simon. Appreciate you. But you know what? In mentioning Simon's name, I know I'm representing so many people in the house. But I want to provoke you. I want to challenge you unashamedly this morning to consider, have I become a consumer Or am I truly so in love with Jesus because of what he did for me? I've been consumed, not consuming. I've been consumed. I've been touched by him. Where can I serve? What can I do? Can I pick up cups at the end of the meeting? Or will I leave the same people to do it for another four hours? And they also have to go to work tomorrow morning. Serving. Love must be sincere. Love one another deeply. When we do that, we're worshiping God. When we're worshiping God, we're loving him with all of our heart. Never be lacking. Be serving one another as unto the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Hands up if you went to prayer meeting this morning. I think I'm just going to make that a rhetorical question. We have a thing called ascend. When we pray, corporately, something powerful happens. I'm going to jump off that one. Share with God's people who are in need and offer hospitality. My dad always says this. Hospitality is making someone feel at home when you wish they were. (laughs) Listen, when we offer hospitality, the Bible says we are worshiping God. When you think about someone other than yourself and you serve them, we're worshiping God. When we're worshiping God, we're loving him with all of our heart. And that is the greatest command, to love God with all of our heart. 
And right, if you'll read it this week, if you're wondering, I don't know what to read in my Bible, read Romans chapter 12, and it starts with, this then is worship. What is worship? And read the next two, three chapters on what worship is. It will probably adjust you. It will rock your world a little bit. And the word of God should be like a mirror that we start reflecting our lives as what the word of God says. Amen. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and not curse them. Live at harmony. Um, watch this. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Can you? It's one thing to be there for someone and be a superhero when they're down. But can you rejoice and celebrate their success? Oh, because if you can, you're worshiping God. I don't have a job. They just, they've got, they just keep getting promotion after promotion. I'm getting worn out. I, but if we will worship, if we'll get this and say, God, I'm so glad for you. Well done. You just got a new car. There's something, and I think I'm British, so I can say this, but there's something in, in the British psyche which I, I want to suggest is not kingdom, and it's about blessing. If you say this, well, well, well I like your new car. Yeah, I, I got it on sale. I got a discount. Sometimes just to annoy people, yeah, I paid way over the top because I wanted to. I just want to slap this kind of poverty mentality. But it's, it sneaks in. It's, it's in, you remember James Bond? Every James Bond movie, the rich guy is always the bad guy. True? So when someone's successful, we think they must have done something dodgy. Rather than maybe they're just blessed. Well, I'm not blessed. So then there's like tall, tall poppy syndrome. We want to cut that down so we're all the same. It's wrong. Jesus tells that as a parable. Blessing the one who worked at the end of the day. He's God. But if we're worshiping, we want to love him, then one of the ways we worship him is to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. I'm so excited for you that you now got engaged, and I've been waiting to get engaged. I don't even have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I just, it's one of the greatest low points of my life, but I'm genuinely so happy for you. Well, that person just got a new house. I don't even have a house. Well, they got an inheritance. They got blessed. So good. And, but here's, here's what I want you to understand. They're not just nice principles. It's how we worship our king. We're worshiping him when we do that. And when we're worshiping him, we're loving him. And the greatest command is to love him with all of our hearts. I'm so excited that you're blessed. Genuinely. Live at harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not pray evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if possible, and as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, blah, 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 blah. Okay, here's another one. Um, give, give, give everyone what is owed to him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And in doing so, we're worshiping God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not harm its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Accept him whose, weak is, whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Do you know how many issues are disputable matters? Sometimes I listen to people go on about their pet doctrines and I think, Gosh, there's more scripture to say avoid this issue than you're using to defend your arguments. Let it go. Shut up. You know, the Bible says, do not say conspiracy, conspiracy. Don't. Well, I've, I just really believe that the government's listening in on my cell phone. Whatever. Who cares? What are you hiding? Does it matter? Anyway, whatever. But I think the church has got to be a voice to the world, but not weird. Like, what? Okay. Can I keep going at this level? I'm getting on a plane tomorrow, so. <laughs> you got such great elders. They're so good at clearing up mess. Brilliant. If one man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak only eats vegetables, great point. <laughs> the man who eats everything must not look down on the one who does not. For God has accepted him. I'm going to get off this point because I've got to go. Um, 
Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. So whatever you believe about these things, keep it between yourself and God. Oh. <laughs> keep it between you and yourself and the Lord. That's better. Accept, accept one another just then as Christ accepted you. Ah, oh, I could go on and on. There's, there's four chapters here full of these principles of worshiping God. What's my point? When we worship God, we are loving God. And the greatest command is to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our might. Number two is to love ourselves. Number one is to love God. Number two, and I've, I've snuck this number two in between the two because it is in there. It's to love the Lord your God, number one, with all your heart, soul, and might. And number two is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. You can only love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we can only love God once we realize that he first loved us. This then is love, not that we love him, but that he first loved us. It's important, church, that we really learn to love ourselves. I'm not talking about narcissistic love. I'm talking about God kind of love. To know that I'm living in the marvelous kingdom of light, I'm living on the right side of the cross, and I'm living as a son and as a daughter, and I am absolutely loved. God couldn't love me more or any less. He just absolutely loves me, and he's completely forgiven me. But how I love me will determine how I love someone else. When I meet somebody that's beating themselves up, living in shame, I don't really want them to love me. Because if you don't love you, you're not going to love me, and the only way you're going to love you is by first realizing that you're loved. So be kind to yourself. Read the list of how do you love yourself as you love yourself. Love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, read what love is. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul lays out 15 things what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. That's why I say be kind to yourself. Be patient with yourself. Learn to forgive yourself. Some people live in a prison of, of just offense and not loving themselves for the rest of their life. But that negates the power of the cross. It was a finished work. For our shame, we got a double portion. Let it go. If God forgave you, don't let the devil remind you of what you did. As far as the east is from the west, so he's removed our transgressions from us and remembers them no more. But as we've been forgiven, we should forgive. If you've not been offended in this church yet, it's just because you haven't been coming long enough. You, it's going to happen. It's as a family. And if it didn't happen, then Jesus would be here because he's coming back for a bride who's made herself ready. And guess what? We're not ready yet. So be kind to yourself. And you can tell somebody who's really encountered the love of God because they themselves are being loving. Who has been forgiven much loves much. But you can't be forgiven until you've put something right. But when you put something right, you get forgiven. Boom, there's the checkpoint. Wow, I'm forgiven. Now the fruit of my life is I'm going to love much. Some of you, as I'm speaking, just need to start forgiving yourself. Some of you need to start forgiving other people. Some of you have thought, um, I'm, I'm, it's like de drinking deadly poisoning and expecting your neighbor to die from it. That's what unforgiveness does. Just let it go. And in doing so, we love ourselves. Thank you, Lord. Forgiving, 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 forgiving. Love always believes the best. Suspicion is, dis is discernment's evil twin. My wife always reminds me of this. Suspicion. Cynicism. You know, as an English culture, we can be, not us. But we can be, there can be a sense of cynicism, to be cynical. But watch this, love always believes the best. That squashes that cynicism. It's not a part of the kingdom. I don't believe it's a kingdom attribute. Hey, now you're in the marvelous kingdom, you're going to be cynical. Don't. Have you ever done a ne negativity fast as a church? Where you've, where you've fasted negativity. For like a whole week, I'm not going to be negative. It's rubbish, but it's not. <laughs> do you want to do it for this week? Okay, ready? What day is it today? 
what day is it a week from today? For seven days, will you commit to this? For the next seven days, I'm going to go on a negativity fast. And before you stand up, because I'm going to have you stand up so the orc in heaven can witness it, um, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, God, I want you to help me, Holy Spirit, to eradicate all negativity from my heart, from my life, from my mouth. I want you to touch. I'm going to pray in a minute that when God touches our heart, what comes start, what's in our heart will come out of our mouth. I'm going to, we're going to do this at the end. But just want you to think about that. Doing a whole seven days. And maybe whoever's leading the meeting next week can start talking about how it changed us. You know, 80% of our thoughts are negative, not us, but in general. That's terrible. If the man, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, then we're going to be negative. But we're the light of the world. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. All right, so number two, um, to love yourself. And number three, I'm going to wrap up. Don't forgive him, Lord, for he knows exactly what he does. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> oh. Number three is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So the first journey is the journey upward. The second journey is the journey inward. The third journey is the journey outward. The first is to love God. The second is to love myself as God loves me. And the third is to love my neighbor. If you can turn back to Luke chapter 4. Um, this is, uh, again, where this Pharisee, this attorney, the solicitor, the lawyer, who's trying to catch Jesus out again, he makes this statement, and he says this. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And I love the way Jesus responds and answers questions because most of the time he didn't answer the question that people asked him. He turned the question around so they could see themselves. He was practicing, although he didn't have a, a log in his own eye, but the principle causing them to look at themselves. So he says, who is my neighbor? And he says, well, there was a man. And he was going on a journey And while he was on his journey, he came across some thieves and they beat him up. <clears throat> and he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And he says there were three people. There was the, the Levite, the priest. Then there was the, the priest. Then there was the Samaritan. Everyone say Samaritan. Now we know that Jews and Samaritans didn't get on. Do you remember the woman, when Jesus went to the well, the woman at the well was a Samaritan. And she said, why are you talking to me? There's something about this love. It doesn't, love isn't limited to likeness. When we truly touched him, see, God isn't loving, God is love. And there is no fear in love. That's why I hate control so much. Whenever I see someone controlling a situation, I know it's because they're scared of something. My mom once taught me this. She said, whenever you see pride, it's just the outside of a bottle. But if you look on the inside, you'll always find fear. Because pride just covers fear. When we become too dogmatic and too strong, often it's just because there's fear on the inside. But our first reaction is when we see pride, we think that's arrogance, let's bring them down a rung or two. But here's the kingdom way. Perfect love casts out all fear. So when you see pride, the best way to deal with it is to, be, is, is to love that person. And what is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not rude. Love keeps no record of when it's been wronged. Love is not self-seeking. Love always believes the best. Love never fails. Church, when these are sequential. When we love him, and we, when, sorry, when we, when we know how much he loves us, we love him. And when we love him, we love ourselves. And when we love ourselves, we can love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Can you see this? I'm nearly done, but I, I'm going to pray in just a moment. But church, I, 
I think we can so often try to find different ways of evangelizing, uh, friendship evangelism, and we'll try this, and we'll try reaching our neighbors. Sometimes you just need to be friendly. <laughs> Love is not rude. Heidi Baker, who's coming this August, wrote a whole book on love the one in front of you. Sometimes it's simply a matter of just loving the person in front of us. Love does. You know, nowhere in the Bible that I can find does anywhere, anywhere in the scriptures does Jesus tell anyone without exception the words, I love you. He says, as I have loved you, but that's the closest. I can't find anywhere, anywhere where Jesus said, I love you. But the one, and the one thing that everyone knows about Jesus is he loves us. Because love does. <laughs> he is love. And when we encounter his love, we give away that love. And our eyes are suddenly open to, wow, we start to, as we love him, we love what he loves. And what he loves is people. He just loves people. I was sitting in a clinic a couple of weeks ago, and I was in the waiting room, and I heard this voice, and this lady said, um, excuse me, and I, I looked and I thought, are you talking to me? And she said, yeah. And I said, oh, yeah, can I help you? And she said, could I hold your hand? And I suddenly just felt, my mind went first, like, what? I don't really hold ladies' hands. I thought, well, she's an older lady. So I reached out and I held her hand. And as I held her hand, I just felt the, the presence of God fill the room. And I sat there for an hour just holding her hands. And she went to sleep, locked onto my hand. A little while later, somebody came in, into the reception area and they were so irate at this, uh, this doctor's practice, this doctor's surgery, and they were mad with this and mad with that. And this lady had just let go of my hand and I went after the person. I said, excuse me, are you okay? She said, no, I'm leaving here. This is how, there's going to be a lawsuit. Ah, all this stuff. And I said, could you tell me your story? And she said, well, what's it to you? And I said, I just care about people. And I can see you're in a lot of pain and you're really angry. And so she told me the story. And I said, what about if there was some kind of other healing that I could help you get to? And she said, well, what are you talking about? I said, well, I just know some people that know someone that could help you. And she said, well, I have to pay. I said, no, it's free. She said, who are you? I said, I'm just nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody. <laughs> Who's somebody? Well, if you'll allow us to reach out to you and just have someone just call you. I've got some friends, these ladies, I'll call you. And we'll tell you. She said, why would you do this? And I said, just because I love people. I didn't tell her I was a pastor. Church, I'm just saying that to say I think sometimes when we really encounter his love, it's impossible but to just give it away. Amen? I'm going to wrap up. We've got about four minutes. <clears throat> just close your eyes for a moment. I love this. I'm going to read you something. A man fell into a pit. A subjective person came and said, I feel for you down there in a pit. An objective person said, it's logical that someone would fall into a pit. A Christian scientist said, you only think you're in a pit. <laughs> a Pharisee said, only bad people fall into pits. A newspaper reported wanted the exclusive story on the pit. A fundamentalist said, you deserve your pit. Confucius said, if you'd listened to me, you wouldn't be in a pit. Buddha said, your pit is just a state of mind. A realist said, that's a pit. <laughs> a scientist measured the pressure needed to get out of the pit. A, geolog a geologist told him to appreciate the rock structure of the pit. A taxman asked him if he was paying taxes on the pit. A building inspector asked him if he had the, the proper permits to build the pit. An evasive person came along and avoided the subject of the pit altogether. A charismatic said, just confess you're not in a pit. That's my favorite. Too. <laughs> an optimist said, an optimist said, it could be worse. A pessimist said, 
it will get worse. <laughs> then Jesus came along, saw the man in the pit. He bent down and simply pulled him out of the pit. Just keep your eyes closed for a moment. The musicians are going to pray, play, and I'm going to pray. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Oh. If you want, you can put your hand on your heart this morning, or you can. I just want you to just sit there. Just got a couple more moments, and I know I've said a lot, but think about these journeys of loving God, loving yourself, loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you know about him, you may have been to meetings before, you may have been to church all your life, but as you've watched people today go through this, go into a water tank, and you're like, I don't, what is this? Why are people doing this? But deep in your heart, you can feel this tug. You can feel this, ah, it's simply this. It's a God-shaped hole in your heart that only God can fill. And the reason he died on the cross, the reason he became sin, the reason he carried our sickness and our disease, the reason he carried our shame is because he absolutely loved us. That's why, as I've quoted today, 1 John 4 says, this then is love, not that we just love him and do things on a journey to the cross, but that he first loved us. And he sent Jesus to die on the cross. And the cross was ugly. It was so ugly that the father turned his face and Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the cross was so ugly. It was so horrendous. It was so horrific because Jesus took it all for you and me. For it's by grace that we're saved and not by works. It's a gift from God. If you're here this morning and you feel that in your heart, that tug, I, I, I want to know how to do this. You want this gift. I just want you to pray this prayer with me. You can keep your eyes closed. Say, Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. And I don't really know what all this means, these keys to the kingdom and being born again, but I just acknowledge that I need a savior. I'm in a pit. And I've tried everything to get myself out. But today, I surrender to you. I surrender to you kneeling down and reaching down into the pit that I'm in and pulling me out. And I ask you today to forgive me for my sin, for not doing the things that I knew to be right. And I ask you to forgive me for all you to come inside of me to the best of my knowledge right now you know me better than I know me you created me, you made me 